New alarm bells ringing tonight on the coronavirus outbreak in this country. Doctors say the virus is spread through droplets when someone coughs or sneezes. And I think the business community, it's in their interest that people actually stay home and stop the spread. For a business that can allow more employees to telecommute, we want you to do that. In these times, what does it mean to sell with purpose? How can you bring intention to every sales conversation, no matter what you're selling? What if success doesn't mean just one more closed sale, but one more life saved? Hi, friends. I'm Andy Paul, host of the Sales Enablement Podcast, and this is Selling with Purpose, a special six-part series of inspiring conversations exploring what it means to sell with a mission greater than just hitting your numbers in the era of COVID-19 and beyond. Tune in to hear from world-class enterprise sales leaders and learn how their six companies will close $50 billion selling remotely. See how they've supported essential workers with the products and services they need to stay safe and thrive during this time of crisis. A special thank you to our guests and their incredible companies, Sodexo, Henry Schein, Gordon Food Services, NFP, Stanley Security, and CDK for allowing us to share their stories. All right, let's get into it. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. Glad to be here. Well, it's glad to have you here. And um, where are you sheltering in place? Yes, I am. Uh, I am quarantining, sheltering in place in New Jersey. In New Jersey, and any kids in the house? I do. We uh, we 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 have a three and a half year old, so we're not dealing with the uh, this homeschooling, thankfully, because I've heard that is that is quite a bit. But uh, yeah. dealing dealing with our own trials and tribulations. I've locked the door to the room that I am sequestered in. So we, we, sh- we shouldn't have any, any unexpected interruptions. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, I think one of the things that's, that's happened during this period is we've come to understand that, you know, perfection in these, these type of events, Zoom calls, recordings, just not necessary. Isn't that the truth? And yeah, that's fun watching the late night shows. You know, the hosts at home, they're, <laughs> you see the gray in the hair coming out and all these things. It's like, yeah, I think I prefer it that way than uh, standing in front of an audience. Yeah, thank you, Andy, for doing a podcast and not a not a video recording because my hair is definitely not camera ready these days. So yes, I very much appreciate uh, no. the audio. We 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 saw each other before we started this, and, and <laughs> uh, yours looks fine. Mine, as I say, my hair has not been this long since the nineties. Uh, so. I- <laughs> <laughs> I just said the other day, I was like, I don't think I've ever had hair this long in my entire life. I, I can't, I can't remember if I have. It's, uh, and I've been telling people how I want to grow it out, and now I have, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> there's a reason I was cutting it, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, mine. As as I got older, mine was more a hairstyle was more about convenience than anything else, right? That's right. And so. I always kept it short, you know, I've, I'm a swimmer and you know, a runner, biker. And so I, you know, showering a lot and I just, I just didn't want to bother styling it and combing it or doing anything. I just want it short enough so I can dry it and go. Yeah. Not so much anymore. Now it's, uh, back in, the, I think I need hair product, which I, I don't use. <laughs> uh, we'll send you some, I, I got, I got a good brand Andy. I'll send you some. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So I, I love your tagline on your LinkedIn profile, which is, is you say helping companies and sales pros attract and retain because pursue and detain sounds too dark. <laughs> Where'd that come from? 
I can't take all the credit for that, Andy. We have a, uh, a fantastic marketing team. Uh, one of the women on my team, Natalie Burge, who handles a lot of our customer experience research and empowers uh, my team in sales enablement and our sellers with kind of really good insights on the people they're trying to engage with. She did a whole series on understanding our, our benefits buyer specifically. And that was one of her and her team's taglines that I stole. So I can take all the credit for it, but it was it was one of my favorites. Thank you. It is, it is very good. Yeah. So, well, so speaking about NFP, so tell us what you guys do. Yeah. So NFP, we're uh, a global insurance broker and consultant. Uh, we work across several different sort of business lines as we would see them. Um, corporate benefits, which includes you know health and welfare for, for mid-market organizations, as well as retirement plans, uh, property and casualty, uh, and then also individual solutions. The easiest way to think about it, on the corporate benefits side, uh, we we handle the insurance on people. On the property and casualty side, we handle the insurance of things. And on the individual solution side, pretty self-explanatory. It's like that one-to-one B2C kind of insurance solution. So insurance or, or you also do, it sounds like wealth planning and financial planning and so on. Yeah, that's right. On the individual side, a lot of a lot of financial planning, financial readiness, up and down sort of the income spectrum, uh, and then even on the corporate side, uh, our retirement teams uh, don't just focus on the organizational uh, retirement plan, the four hundred one k or the four hundred three b. They're also super focused on creating financial preparedness, financial readiness for participants, especially at those kind of underserved types of organizations that tend to be mostly blue collar and gray collar. Mm-hmm. Um, where a lot of other organizations or some of our peers are mostly focused on sort of the people with a lot of zeros after their name. Uh, we've specifically tried to kind of carve a niche for ourselves by helping those people that don't often get that one-to-one personal financial attention. Got it. So tell us about your role then. So you're VP of Global Sales or Global VP of Sales Enablement. I, I make sure I got that right. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. Yes. Uh, global makes it sound really good. Yeah. So I'm the I'm the SVP of Sales Enablement. So I'm tasked with trying to make every last one of our sellers, we call them producers inside NFP, mm-hmm. uh, as effective, as efficient, as successful as possible. And that spans a lot of different things from uh, you know training and learning to our sales systems to some of our go to market strategies in cooperation with our marketing team. Uh, essentially anything and everything to to make them as successful as they possibly could be in identifying the big problems our clients are are kind of handed every day and trying to align them with with solutions we kind of have in, inside. And so you're selling direct though. Yes. Yeah, okay. that's right. So not using independent agents or anything like that. So you're selling direct and I presume most people were out making prior to this were out in the field making face-to-face calls on insurance clients or on benefits clients and so on we uh we are in the insurance industry i will say and you know i'll put myself in there too uh late adopters to to a lot of the kind of more technology focused or sort of virtual types of selling yeah most of what our producers do uh, is really face-to-face out in the field shaking hands buying drinks uh, I think what we'd refer to as sort of more traditional relationship-based selling. That mm-hmm. was definitely a large component of how we acquired new clients, for sure. So let's talk about the transition then, because obviously you've, your people are sheltering, your clients are sheltering. Uh, what's been the the transition like? I mean, how have you had to, first of all, set them up to be able to do this remotely, for sure? And then maybe what's changed as far as your go-to-market messaging? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't think anybody on our side 
<laughs> was was predicting global pandemic or complete kind of shelter at home, work from home shutdown. But <laughs> your insurance guys, you should have thought about it. Y- you know, it's funny. Maybe we should have known this. Maybe we did, and I just didn't. Right? Like somebody right. in a dark room somewhere was like, "Oh yeah, it's going to be bad. Let's let's set ourselves up for success." We uh, about eighteen months ago, twenty four months ago, I would say we we started to kind of like I said, with the help of some of our customer success and um, um, customer experience and marketing teams, we started to really try to think about, listen, it can't go this way forever, right? While while relationship selling and creating sort of the old golf course, bar room networks is good, if we're going to kind of continue to be successful, continue to grow, we have to find new progressive, more technologically based avenues to acquire clients. It's just, that's where buyers are going. And so we as sellers kind of have to have to match them there, have to mirror them there. Uh, and we started to invest in um, a more robust and kind of diverse sales tech stack. We started to think about how to train our sellers to be a little bit more uh, comfortable with social selling, um, with videos embedded into engagements. We we started to dabble in a lot of that stuff, thinking that we would have a bit of runway to kind of uh, evolve our sales culture and our sellers to you know more more broadly adopt mm-hmm. those things. Uh, we had about a five year plan for that and. Uh, uh, funny enough, this came along, and uh, it was it was one of those things where suddenly we were we were trialing a lot of these things with small subsets of our selling population, and then overnight, it was it was a business imperative, right? Like we had to equip all of our sellers, and we have we have a little over three hundred, um, you know, really dedicated, direct, uh, focused sellers. Mm-hmm. We had to equip and enable them all overnight, and. Um, Thankfully, we have great partners on the technology side who stood up 96% of our workforce, um, work from home in about a week, uh, and we're able to get our entire producer population onto our our kind of virtual tools, our sales tech stack, uh, really quickly. Um, but then also making sure we were really, you know, I call it hand-to-hand combat, very engaged with every one of our producers, every one of our sales managers to help them adjust not just their go-to-buyer strategy or their go-to-market strategy, as you put it, but also their own expectations, right? So we really quickly started to help them focus on, listen, success right now is going to look different. Um, well, we all think about, sorry, go ahead, Andy. Yeah, well, how are you defining that right now? So for them, what does success look like? Yeah, right. So historically, it was it was meetings set, right? Opportunities created, mm-hmm. revenue in the door. Um, right now, we're focused pretty primarily in trying to get them to get their heads around, you know, outreach, engagement, support, right? Like, are are we reaching as many people as we can with things that we think are of value to them, just based on what we know to be of value to our current clients right now? Uh, it's not necessarily all about setting that meeting or, or getting them to sort of agree to allow us to sell them something, you know, for right now, it's about just, just outreach engagement, reaching as many people as possible with what we think are, you know, valuable insights, valuable bits of information. Well, for the, your clients, so like your property and casualty, or you're just talk about your corporate clients and, and your um, benefits packages. So what are sort of the critical issues they're, they're facing right now? Yeah, I mean, and it's different all over the place, and every segment is different. But even if you just look at essential businesses, right? Like uh, you think about grocery chains and trucking mm-hmm. companies and food distribution, which I know has been all over the news recently because of right. you know some some supply chain issues in in meat processing and things like that. The the types of things they're suddenly dealt with 
a great example. We have a we have a partner who is um, emerging, a startup called FutureWork. Their whole business model was about tracking the movement of employees in industries that have people that move things, right? Mm-hmm. So manufacturing, trucking, distribution, and the whole concept was an app based platform that allows us as advisors to better understand the risks, so that we could better negotiate on their behalf with the carriers, right? Like workers' comp was kind of right. the focus. Um, they really quickly uh, adjusted on the fly and said, wow, the, the big problem right now is, is not necessarily trying to, to bring down a worker's comp premium, but instead, how do, we, how do we make sure that we're keeping our employee population safe since they're essential? They have to be at work. If, if, we're, if we're taking temperatures or gathering information to sort of identify and trace and track uh, at the moment so we don't have to shut down the whole, the whole warehouse or the whole factory, how do we do that? They said, great, let's open up our platform and start allowing people to to, to track and analyze temperature data. Uh, so things like that, it was slight pivots inside our, our understanding, our expertise and our messaging mm-hmm. um, in very specific areas to say like, hey, we get it. We understand this is a big problem now. And it probably wasn't a big problem three months ago. It, may, it might not have even hit your top 10, but let's, let's understand what your big problem is now and see if we can help, help solve it for you as opposed to trying to push the stuff that's typically... You know, we'll call it high revenue or high margin or the things that make us kind of the, the, the more successful organization. Right now, let's pivot and just try to figure out what the things are that'll, that'll help you be a successful organization. And that's, that's sort of fascinating, yeah, because it sounds like what you're saying is just so you can track sort of real-time movement of employees within a workspace in a manufacturing, let's say. So from, yeah, from a, it's almost like a, you can use it like a contact tracer within an organization. Yeah. So uh, even to that point, right? Like we have a lot of, we have an innovation lab internally. We have a ventures team internally that's always looking for startups. And even those resources have quickly pivoted to say like, okay, let's think about what the problems are going to be for organizations as they try to return to work and start back exactly. up. And let's go find the the people out there that we can kind of find the solution and then amplify it and distribute it at a, at a scale since we have over 50,000 corporate clients that could be super helpful or beneficial to the to the broader economy to the macroeconomic space right like let's not just focus on what we've always been good at or where we've always made the most money right now for us it's kind of all of a sudden been about helping not just our clients but any organization we can reach because of the distribution force we have figure this stuff out which is which has helped our producers stay motivated right because they're just they're not they're not getting those traditional meetings right now. Yeah, well, I think it also sort of gives them sort of a mission, right? Is they're saying, look, what we're really focused on right now is how we help people return to work. Uh, that seems like that would that would animate somebody if you're out working with your clients on that or prospective new clients. That's a great, yeah, mission, I think is a great point. Yeah, I hadn't even, we haven't used that word yet, Andy, but I'm, now I'm going to steal it. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna make sure all of our producers understand they have a mission. That's a great one. Well, I think it's it's really important in this time. I think, Sellers in general. I mean, there's people writing quite eloquently about the fact that you know, if we're going to restart the economy in many respects, it starts with sales, right? You have to sell something. That's <laughs> the the engine, right, for for our economy. But I think it's also it's good for people in this time to feel like there is a mission that they're contributing somehow. And I think for more sellers than realize it, have a role in that. Yeah, giving our our producers sellers something to focus on. Like I said at the beginning, reframing success for them um, has been one of our big big challenges, but what we also think can be kind of the, the thing that helps our, our producers uh, you know, kind of sustain and thrive through this. Giving, giving people a purpose every day 
when you're stuck inside, especially I know Andy, you're in Manhattan. We have a big sales office in New York City. Mm-hmm. A couple of members of my team are kind of you know stuck in 800 square foot apartments with a dog and a, and a husband, and right like it's it's wow that much space <laughs> that much space. It's even in New York City, yeah. <laughs> I dream of 800 square feet. <laughs> I'll, I'll hook you up with the realtor, Andy. I'll get you. <laughs> I'll get you the. I'll get you the hair product and the realtor. Well, uh, right no, we we uh, we're very fortunate. We our primary base is San Diego, but we have a place here. Um, but we had to come back for my wife's work, so we ended up being in a place which is really intended to be a place we use occasionally to some place we're spending months in. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, yeah right. no, no complaints, no complaints. Trust me. Um, so it's what's sort of interesting. Is, so I was thinking about how do you now? Because you talked about meeting set and the other metrics you're using. Is is so when we're just trying to stay in touch and trying to, you know, you've got all these other uh, missions that we just talked about, is helping people think about what the next normal is going to be and how they can help them with that. Is is how are your managers measuring what people are doing? Yeah, so that's. Luckily, um, we have some great partners. We we have Salesforce, obviously. We have um, Sales Loft is our is our client engagement platform of choice. Yeah. So I was talking specifically about like metrics, though. Yeah. So they're looking at you know new contacts, right? Like, have we identified new contacts? Um, new contacts placed. They're looking at emails sent. Um, we're specifically looking at. Um, uh, play deployment and then abandonment. So one of the things we've kind of really focused on, we've built a lot of plays and a lot of sort of pre-packaged sales kind of on a shelf for our producers. And one of the things we're trying to to focus on to again keep them motivated, keep mm-hmm. them focused on a mission. You know, play abandonment has become a big staff for us. Have you have you run the first four steps and then kind of given up? Well, give us an example of what one of those plays is. Yeah. So for instance, um, cyber insurance, uh, cyber risk has gone through the roof sure. uh, because most professional services, white collar organizations, they're now suddenly in a, in a reality where they've, they've stood up their entire workforce in a work from home environment. And that's not how they were designed to be. Right. Um, we know that kind of malware, phishing, all of these types of attacks are significantly increased in this kind of environment because they don't have the control or the sight from a from a technology department perspective on what their users are doing, right? So right. one of our plays is, great, we understand this to be a big problem right now instead of going out and kind of looking to, to kind of talk to them about, you know, whatever, uh, general liability. Like, mm-hmm. This is a problem they have right now. We can certainly help them both with a, a cyber assessment of their broad cyber risk and then an adjustment and a, and a tweak, maybe an amendment of their existing cyber insurance policy to cover and fill in the gaps that they might not have even realized exist because they so quickly went to this work from home environment, right? right. So we, we put a number of steps together, right? All in a, in a sequential order, right? You got six emails, four phone calls, three social sure. touches. I need you to reach out to the CTO, the CFO, and the risk manager, right? And we set it all up, explain to them exactly who to look at and exactly who to talk to. And they get excited and great. Yes, we've got a problem. I've got my mission. But obviously, as sellers, we like to be replied to. We like to feel like our efforts are well-received. And so if I send my first three emails and make my first two phone calls in that, in that sequential play and don't get any feedback, I don't get a reply. No one's picking up on this trigger that I've kind of said, I know you've got this problem. Let me help you. It can be discouraging. 
and even though we know that the play needs to be, you know, 30 days or 35 days long, or it needs to include 17 to 20 steps, because that's kind of empirically or statistically what right. will give us the highest probability or yield of reply, right? Like, and we know that our producers used to follow through 75, 80% of that play, and now they're abandoning it 20, 25%. That becomes kind of a statistic for us where it might not lead directly to like we talked about earlier, a sale, but it's also a red flag to us to say like, Hey, what's wrong with, you know, Bobby, you know, Bobby used to sell all the way through. He used to finish all of his plays. Like he's abandoning a lot of his plays right now with a lot of his targets at 20, 25%. We need to go to Bobby and make sure we're, we're helping Bobby out. We're, we're, we're giving Bobby something to work towards. We're understanding what his problem is. We're trying to remove that friction um, right now, mostly because we care about Bobby, but also because we know if Bobby continues to kind of go with the program, follow through, that kind of outreach, that kind of engagement at the volume that we're not used to. We used to be super focused on really one-to-one authentic small volumes of outreach because that was kind of complex selling how we ran. Now we've started to say like, listen, let's just get in front of as many people as possible because we know there's so many people out there that need help and we have some things we can provide help around. Let's focus on those things and let's focus on on volume. So that's those are kind of the metrics we're focused on right now. I'd say, Andy, is are you reaching out to more people than you otherwise normally would have? Are you getting in front of a larger number of people? That's really key to us right now in terms of our strategy. And then we're also using the stats that we used to view as kind of like an opportunity for discipline, right? Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Seller, you're not doing your job. Or we're coaching. looking at it as like, yeah, or coaching, right? Improvement. Now we're looking at it as like, hey, maybe, maybe. Bobby needs some help right now, right? Like is, 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 and Bobby's a made up name. We don't have any seller's name, Bobby, that I'm aware of, but like, you know, is is Bobby, is Bobby struggling? Is this an indicator that actually just from an interpersonal perspective, one of our hashtags is people first, like we actually need to get, get out, reach out to Bobby beyond just like, Hey, is he selling enough or is he doing enough? Like, what can we do to actually help Bobby? Cause it seems like something might be wrong. Well, yeah. And I imagine at this time in particular, especially with people stuck inside and, as you said, if they're not getting the response, it's it's a tough environment for sellers. So I, the question is, yeah, what what are you doing in that that circumstance to sort of say, well, this is really a this is a contextual issue because this is this is happening in the context of the shutdown and people working from home and and usually not an issue for Bobby. That's right. That's right. So that's that's the kind of stuff where hey, let's let's you know we don't have really small to, right like a lot of our sales managers you know, manage 30, 40, 50 people in some of our regions. Um, so something like that could easily get overlooked. Um, you know, we're trying to use some of this data, like you said, that we might've historically used as a, as a coaching opportunity, as a way to say like, oh my gosh, Bobby's email writing is, is horrible. He's getting no replies. We got to sit down and have a, have a conversation with him about email writing. We're trying to push our sales managers to go a step further and say like, hey, this, this, is, this is true leadership here, right? Like this is people first. Like it's not about, helping Bobby get better at writing his emails, like dig a little deeper the next time you talk to Bobby, like what's, what's wrong? Is he struggling? Is he okay? You know, as a benefits organization, we have a lot of resources, partners like Total Brain, you know, mental health vendors that, that we provide to our clients all the time that we've tried to say like, you know, let's see if we can make sure when we, we think we see people struggling, we can take that opportunity to, to dig a little deeper and not necessarily on their selling behaviors, but just, you know, as a person, you know, what, what's going on? Um, we extended a lot of our, you know, PTO days. People can take sure. days a lot more frequently, things like that. I, to your point, I think sellers are always under a lot of stress, right? Like it's not easy being a salesperson. We deal with 
rejection and negativity and, and, and those kind of things. And we deal with it well, which is generally what makes us good at what we do. Um, those who stick with it deal with it well. They, yeah. Those who stick with it, right, right. <laughs> we're in, a, we're in a, a scenario and an environment where it's not just those stressors anymore. It's not the usual stressors. And so I think in aggregate, it can become really difficult for even the, the most resilient, the most disciplined sellers to kind of push through this. Um, and that's, those are the kind of stats we're looking at. Again, we think that just sort of increasing our volume, making sure we're getting the name out, providing value in very specific places, as opposed to sort of thinking more broadly about how we can help will result in you know, a quicker velocity to normalcy for our pipeline on the back end of this. But for us, it's also about, like I said, more more concern for the individual seller at this point and how they get through this, how, how right. we're kind of using the typical sales data to also sort of flag and understand struggles people might be having where we can kind of jump in and, and, and help out from a sales enablement, a sales management perspective. Right. Well, interesting thought. I mean, you had talked earlier, you, your managers are managing a ton of people. Yeah. And it seems like certainly from your perspective as in charge of enablement that to me that seems a little problematic or perhaps an opportunity for improvement is is what are you guys sort of thinking about in long term in terms of you know closer or let's say fewer people reporting to one manager in terms of you know propagating your your coaching and opportunities because hard is if you're managing fifty people it's hard to coach fifty people on an individual basis. I was just wondering what you're sort of thinking about that strategically. Yeah, really hard. So uh, the one thing to kind of understand about us is is where we came from was you know over four hundred discrete brands seven years ago, eight years ago now uh, mm-hmm. that merged into one, and so a lot of our producers historically were always kind of almost individual contributors, right? They had no manager. They were they were self-motivated. They were self-driven. They figured it out on their own and made it happen. Yeah, I've seen you, you've been doing a lot of acquisitions. Yes, we, and we, we do, right? And, but what we've realized as we've, we've gained scale, and this was part of our, our rationale over the past two years, is like, hey, there's only so far each individual producer, no matter how good they are, can go by themselves, right? Some level of organizational support should help our producers go from, you know, whatever level they are, right? We always hear people talk about like C and B and focusing on them because they have the highest, you know, the best opportunity mm. for growth. And But even our A producers, for us, an A producer might easily become an A plus and that could be meaningful to the business. You bet. Uh, that, was, that was one of our, our kind of theories, our, our, our kind of overarching thesis around the creation of, of sales enablement, of coaching. Some of the things we were focused on was producer development and producer support. And that's why we were kind of created and exist. So we, we've always thought since we kind of started down this road that it, it would be valuable to the organization to continue to kind of figure out what the right team structure was and how much support each kind of different producer needed in their evolution or maturity inside the organization. To your point, this is this has kind of really brought a lot of focus to that because where a lot of our producers were able to kind of be independent and 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 be very successful with sort of just glancing <laughs> oversight, right? <laughs> um, this has been a a spotlight for us on you know data integrity, data consistency, the need for a little bit more regular oversight, more frequent meetings, and coaching is one of the things we've 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 identified just ourselves and looking at the data over the past sort of six to eight weeks and said like, huh, maybe managers being coaches too, like maybe the managers have enough work on their plate being managers. Maybe we need to think about 
you know, kind of investing in a, in a sales coach. That was something we had explored yeah. years ago and then thought like, maybe not, but it's, it's a great point you bring up. Cause it's definitely something we've, we've been talking about at the, at the kind of sales leadership level. Like, Hey, at what point, at what point does it make more sense given all that we're learning from, you know, this is, I said to somebody on my team the other day, this is a fantastic stress test for us in sales enablement of all of the theories we had been kind of thinking about over the past two years as we've been right. building this kind of producer support out at NFP. Like this is, this is the best kind of stress test. Like everybody, everybody's turning to us looking for our help right now. And so it's, it's good. We can kind of gain insights that would have taken us a much longer time to arrive at sort of pre, pre-pandemic, I guess you could say. And coaching is definitely one of them. You know, I think it is. I think it's it's servant sort of more global thought is, you know, historically in sales is is managers are presumed to be, you know, experts at everything, right? You know, motivation, mindset, you know, the metrics, the you know, keep you guys good on good on the list. And you can't reasonably expect one person to be good at everything. Is and to your point is yeah, if you have that type of structure, you have is yeah, maybe the logical step is let's let's bring on to the staff people who are just coaches. Yeah. And why why do we assume that the coaches always have to be the managers? To your point, the the specialization, right? Like, yeah, sure. we are we are definitely, and this is something we bat around all the time internally, right? Wait, like most organizations, um, you know, we took successful sellers or people who have matured in their careers and been an NFP for a long time and had sort of that de facto player coach sort of role anyway, mm-hmm. and elevated them. Right. And not that that's, I think a lot of organizations will say, like, oh, that's the wrong thing to do. Or there's so many research papers out there about like how, how that's such a bad decision. I, I like that decision. They, they, they know the company, they know the producer, they know what it takes to be out there. Our gap and what we've been trying to solve for and been super focused on is not even just enabling the producer, but really laser focused on how we can enable, upskill, and equip the manager to be a better manager. And that's part of those conversations is where we've, we've started to spin out into like, you know what? Maybe we're asking these people to do something that they're just not good at. Maybe maybe it is about specialization and finding that opportunity to to say like manager, here's what we expect you to do, and then coach, here's what we expect you to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think because if we look at this issue of performance, if we say sales is a performance based profession, just like pro sports, that's right. And you look at the way coaching staffs, and this is again, listeners of the show know this is a soapbox I get on quite occasion, quite often. I know. I know. It is, it is why why aren't we putting specialized experts onto our staffs of sales? They you know, coaches. Yeah, you know, do you ever watch the show Billions? Of course, Andy. So why doesn't every sales team have a Wendy? Listen, I would love a Wendy. Um, <laughs> I think that's a great idea. But I mean, it's, we've we've specialized our sales roles in many industries and in SaaS and so on, and it makes great sense to do that. Yet we still have this heroic manager who's supposed to be all things to all people, um, which doesn't doesn't make sense. No, and I love that we. So again, I'm going to steal that from you because we use the the pro sports analogy all the time when we talk to our producers about. You know, data integrity, data integrity, and behavior capture, and right, like we we use the whole the whole game film. My my favorite sure. metaphor that I tell people all the time is like, listen, in my head, when I'm out there making phone calls and sending emails and trying to get somebody to buy something from me, my motion looks like like Tiger Woods slow motion swing on that Nike commercial, 
right? Mm-hmm. With opera music in the background. It is a sight to behold. It is gorgeous. And it isn't until I get to see the film of me actually swinging a golf club that I realize I look about as uncoordinated and unathletic as I possibly could look, yeah. right? And that's that's the same thing we're trying to, right? When we record phone calls, when we look at the number of emails that are sent, when we try to understand reply rates and click through, it's the same as game film, right? And I've never taken it to that next step as you just took it. Like, and think about professional sports. They have batting coaches, pitching coaches, and strength and conditioning coaches. And there's a coach for everything. Everything, right. It makes total sense that we should. And I, it's funny because now that I think about it, I mentioned our, our customer experience person, um, Natalie Burge, she focuses most of her time on actually empowering and equipping the producer, which is a little different than how most organizations treat um, customer experience. Right. Our role, our view of customer experience is she's really trying to understand and become laser focused on the needs of the buyer, the needs, the needs of like our customer in order to better serve the producer in their communicating with targeting of and kind of handling of the, the buyer. And so, you know, now that you're saying specialized coaches, we're, we're dabbling there, right? Like we've thought about like, you know, engagement almost as a specialized skill and it is. Absolutely. But yeah, it, it, we now now I need to go codify that, Andy. See, thank you. This was well, this was better for me than it was for you, I think. <laughs> we'll talk offline. I'll I'll give you some help on that. <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, we've run out of time, but it's been great talking to you. So, how can people uh, connect with you? Yeah. So everybody can feel free to find me on LinkedIn. I am an open profile. Everybody can get me. They can send me an email, kyle.healy at nfb.com. And obviously can always go check us out and find us www.nfb.com. A lot of great free resources right now on our website um, related to kind of just risk management benefits around the time of COVID. Uh, So everybody feel free to go kind of download and, and read to your heart's content. Excellent. Well, Kyle, thank you very much. Look forward to doing this again. Thanks, Andy. Take care and stay safe. 